This episode of I'm Horrified is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com horrified to get your free audiobook and start listening. It's that easy. Right now, I'm listening to Going Clear by Lawrence Wright, which pairs perfectly with our Scientology segment in episode 6. And I'm listening to The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean, a sizzling romance novel for those who enjoyed episode 49. So head to audibletrial.com slash horrified to start your free trial now. Happy listening! I was born to fuck. Hello, everybody. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 69. Welcome, you hot studs, to episode 69. That's our third (laughs) co-host. We call her Sexy Jane. She'll be voiced by Sam Bundage, though. Hi, folks. Oh, I hate it. It's (laughs) making me very uncomfortable. I've never used that voice in any actual sexual content. I only use it doing Adam and Eve commercials on this one. Yeah, exactly. Um, Welcome to the sexiest episode of I'm Horrified in our canon. Yes. We're eating chocolate-covered strawberries. In obviously the nude. Yes. I've got a silk robe on, but it's not covering anything. <laughs> this is the thing that Sam and I sometimes <laughs> talk about. Maybe we've covered this before, but, you know, we could be naked right now and you guys wouldn't know. You really wouldn't. And that makes me feel powerful. Yeah. You know. I always say we should do one episode naked and then, like, at our hundredth episode, we should say, like, we were naked for an episode. See if you can hear it in our voices. And if you can guess which one, <laughs> we will give you $100,000. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be one nude. <laughs> we will We will send you a picture of the taping is what we'll do. That's pretty hot. It's a pretty hot promo. You say pretty hot, but it, it wouldn't be literally hot because it's warm in this room and yeah. we can't put the AC on. It so would just, it would be... just be two sweaty naked women. <laughs> <laughs> give the people what they want. Am I right? Um, well, we're here to do just that. Um, mm. we've got, I mean, we, we went off what we said we would do last episode, which is, we're bringing you some historical sluts. Historical hoes. Historical, you gotta stop doing the voice. <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing the voice, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, fine. You can do it intermittently. I'm only gonna do it for this one episode, okay, and then our AdamandEve.com commercials. That's, that's fair. <laughs> so I'm gonna talk today about Mata Hari. Some of you may know, some of you may not. Um, Sam, what are you going to talk about? Today I'm going to talk about, uh, Wallace Simpson. Yay! I mean, boo, but yay! Boo, but yay! In both of their cases, boo, but yay. Yeah, I think mine is less of a boo. Mm. Um, you think... It's not... It's not what you think. It's not what I think. I'm excited to learn. Basically. Who is going first in this episode? I truly don't know. It's me. Is it you? Well, yeah, right? I thought it was... Did you... Is it you? It is you. It's, it's you, me, right? I well, forgot. now I'm not. No, you're right. Because last week out. I did the Menendez brothers. Yeah, and that, that was, was first. first. No, I'm going first. I mean, so you're going first. Truly, either of us could go first. What I'm just... saying is, both these ladies deserve top billing. Yeah, but but you're getting a two for one special tonight. But we'll also say that one was a Nazi and one, <laughs> while she slept with Germans, <laughs> may not have agreed with them. Slightly different. Also during World War One, before they really kicked it into high gear. Right? Oh, nice. So, shall we kick it off? I'm begging you to kick it off. Let's get into it. Um, Mata Hari. Mata Hari was born Margareta Gertrude Zell, which is a different name. <laughs> Still kind of hot, though. It's it's Dutch hot. It's Dutch a Dutch hot. name. She Absolutely. She was born in the Netherlands in 1876. 
Um, and she would grow to be one of the most famous burlesque striptease entertainers in history, kind of change the game in burlesque um, for good and bad ways and oh have a pretty tragic life. So um, that life began, as I said, in the Netherlands and was pretty normal, albeit charmed until about age 13, when her father left the family unexpectedly for another woman Yikes. and ran away to Amsterdam. Yikes. Yeah, hold on to your man so he doesn't do that. Um, Or you as a man have to not leave your whole family. Well. (laughs) (laughs) So this was made all the worse when her mother unexpectedly died two years later. Oh, no. um, Presumably of rage um, (laughs) at him. And she was sent, um, she, Margareta, was sent to live with her godfather. During this time, she was known at school, she was, you know, growing up, growing up into a woman, she was known for her incredible beauty, and I hesitate to say this word, but her exotic look. Interesting. (laughs) So, this is the thing. So, like, classmates, one of her classmates said that she stood out as an orchid among daffodils. (laughs) But the thing is, and, and by that, they meant she looked like a person of color. Yeah. She was not. Yes. Both of her parents were white and Dutch. Some people speculated that she did have actually some Indonesian ancestry. She, to all the knowledge that we have, was just a white Dutch woman. Yeah. Um, She just so happened to have darker skin and her classmates noticed. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also like when they talk about um, <laughs> Anne Boleyn, they always say that like she wasn't a traditional English beauty because she had like dark hair and this like... They, they say she had, like, a French way of going about. But, like, when you're surrounded by, like, blonde people, anyone who's like, brunette ooh, is, like... foreign. <laughs> who yeah. could that be? Exactly. So that's what was happening in the milk toast Netherlands <laughs> town that she grew up in. So while she was living with her godfather, she ended up getting kicked out of school for having an affair with the headmaster at the age of 15. Yikes. Now, now we know that there's no such thing as a 15-year-old having an affair with anyone. (laughs) Exactly. Because they're a child, right? So this was clearly a grown man sexually advancing on a student in his care. So that's terrible. But so Zell, after this, flees to The Hague in search of adventure and maybe a husband who will take her away from all of this nonsense. I would look for that at this point. She finds both in a personal ad placed by Dutch Colonial Army Captain Rudolf MacLeod who was looking for a wife to accompany him to the Dutch East Indies, which is currently Indonesia. She sees this ad and she's like, bingo, a dick and an adventure. Two (laughs) for the price of one. Sign me up. And they get married in Amsterdam in 1895. And they moved to the island of Java and had two children together, a boy and a girl. Wow. Don't wow yet. Oh. (laughs) This marriage was terrible. No. Um, McLeod was an alcoholic who regularly beat Margareta. He was also regularly having affairs and even kept a concubine, as this was socially allowed at the time for all of the Dutch settlers there, obviously, because the Dutch were like, ooh, we're colonizing this place. We might as well take advantage of the people here. Um, He also contracted syphilis from one of his many affairs and likely passed it on to Margareta and their two children. This resulted, very sadly, in them both getting extremely ill in their youth and and their son passed away, which is terrible. And they they said it was because a nanny poisoned the family out of spite. It could be either. Probably the (laughs) syphilis. Probably the syphilis, I would say. If I uh, inadvertently killed my son, um, as the father here did, I would say I was uh, poisoned by a nanny. Yeah, it was the servant who did it. Yeah. 
Not my choices. Because um, what 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 are servants there for if not to blame? Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, in this shitstorm of a life, Margareta turns to the local culture as an escape. Um, she makes lots of friends where she's living. She learns a lot about the local language of Malay and joins local dance troops. This is when she first starts to refer to herself as Matahari in letters back home to relatives, which in Malay means son or literally translated means eye of the day, which translates to sun. Huh. This is also the beginning of her appropriating Indonesian culture for her own performative identification, which is wrong and bad, so just bear that in mind. (laughs) Um, Eventually, the McLeods break up when they're back in the Netherlands and divorce, leaving Margareta with nothing, so she doesn't have any more money or status anymore. Um... Mr. McLeod refuses to pay alimony or child support, so Margareta is forced to choose between living with her child in poverty or relinquishing custody rights to her husband, who by her accounts was a good and caring father, but just a very abusive husband, Husband. which is kind of hard to imagine, Mm -hmm. but that's how she recounted it. Eventually, she chose to do the latter and moved to Paris alone to start a life for herself. Mm -hmm. Those who were close to her observed that this decision devastated her her whole life. So she worked at some dance halls and also as a sex worker when she arrived in Paris in order to give herself a start. She also performed in a circus as a horse rider on occasion using the name Lady McLeod, which her in-laws were not appreciative of. (laughs) I love that, though. Lady McLeod. Um, event, and also it's, it's like a white name. Yeah. It's not appropriating anyone. Except for your Scottish husband. It was legally her name for many years. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so eventually, she began to cash in on the big fad of Paris in the early 1900s, which is an obsession with the East. Mm. And when I say East, that's as broad as they were getting. Yep. They <laughs> were like, anything East, that's what we want. That's yes. Oriental, right? Yeah. Like, bad words. They all do the same things over there, and we like them. Mm-hmm. So many performers claim to be, you know, like, the jewel of the Orient, mm-hmm. or, you know, like, you know, racist, appropriative things like that. Um, And so Margareta was able to use the traditional dances and rituals she had learned while living in Indonesia to her advantage. So some things she would do would be to wear veils and slowly drop them away from her body. She would slink around on the ground like a jaguar. And one time she rode into a courtyard on a white horse, exposing her bare ass. So that is, I guess, just a very important cultural touchstone of Indonesia. That's the only yeah, thing that I can I mean, assume. I, I feel uh, I'm troubled by that because I love that as a move. Yeah, but, but if, if it's you're coming from a racially motivated everyone place, everyone in Indonesia does this. You can't I don't do think that. that's correct. Really but if can. you were just about to say, "I, Lady McLeod, ride this horse naked," I'd be like live. That's the kind of white nonsense that's not hurting anyone (laughs) as long as you just... (laughs) Just stop there. Just don't put any other stuff into it. Yeah. It's just my name is Margareta McLeod. (laughs) I'm a white person riding a horse naked and that's all there is to it. And I'm gorgeous and everyone would have been like, great. Beautiful. Um, But she just couldn't not do that. (laughs) She famously never showed her breasts as she was self-conscious about being flat-chested so she had this ornate bejeweled breastplate that she would wear um and then go like bottomless <laughs> like, <laughs> again i love that as a move generally. hot winnie the pooh yes winnie the pooing it again yes it's it's or i want to love that. or should we say winnie the pooh is madhariing it maybe which puts him in a very different context or margareta zelling it is really what we should say fair enough 
So this is all happening. Um, she was also in the midst of a whirlwind affair with Emile Etienne Goumet. I don't think I pronounced that correctly, but he owned the Musée Goumet, where she often performed. So she's like screwing the guy who owns the theater and performing in the theater, and she's loving life, and mm-hmm. she has many fancy friends and yeah. exciting bookings. And we have an exciting new start here in Paris. Yeah, the 1905-1910s are good, very good for her. <clears throat> so, moving into the 1910s, many dancers actually began to imitate the style of Matahari, and critique began to swell against her talent and iconography, as many cultural institutions dismissed her as a dancer who didn't know how to dance, and started to see her as sort of like a cheap act rather than this ornate, mm-hmm. exotic beauty. Eventually, bookings dried up, and she also started to gain weight, is something that a lot of these articles mentioned, which they're like, she started to get kind of pudgy, so people weren't interested anymore. Mm. Um, And she began to focus on her work as a high-priced courtesan for high-ranking military officials and politicians, which, if that's your game, fucking go for it. Live it. Tensions were growing in Europe. As World War I approached. Fair. <laughs> Remember how I just said it's 1910. Oh, yikes. But Margareta's bedroom knew no fealty. <laughs> she took lovers from both sides of the aisle. She's trying to prevent a war, probably. I mean, if anyone's <laughs> pussy could have stopped what happened, it would have been hers. Yes. But that's not what happened. I'll let biography.com tell you a little more about what happened next. Now nearing 40 plumpish and with her dancing days clearly behind her. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Matahari fell in love with a 21-year-old Russian captain, Vladimir Demaslov, in 1916. Great choice. I love that as a move again. Yeah. During their courtship, Maslov was sent to the front, where an injury left him blind in one eye. <gasps> Determined to earn money to support him, Matahari accepted a lucrative assignment to spy for France from George's Ledoux, an army captain who assumed her courtesan contracts would be of use to French intelligence. Interesting. Matahari later insisted that she had planned to use her connections to, do, to seduce her way into German high command, get secrets, and hand them over to the French. But she never got that far. She met a German attaché and began tossing him bits of gossip, hoping to get some valuable information in return. Instead, she got named as a German spy in communiques he sent to Berlin, which were promptly intercepted by the French. Some historians believe that the Germans suspected Matahari was a French spy and subsequently set her up, deliberately sending a message falsely labeling her as a German spy, which they knew would be easily decoded by the French. Others, of course, believe that she was, in fact, a German double agent. In any case, the French authorities arrested Matahari for espionage in Paris on February 13, 1917. They threw her in a rat-infested cell in the prison Saint-Lazare, where she was allowed to see only her elderly lawyer, who happened to be a former lover. Oh. So that's... She's in a sticky spot. Yeah, this is not great. Yeah. So, unfortunately, the trial proceeded... And did not go well at all for Margareta. She was deemed untrustworthy as she had trouble remembering dates and details due to her whirlwind life. And she had taken money from many different politicians and political parties, which she saw as payment for her services, but they saw as bribes. Interesting. During the trial, she was quoted as saying, A courtesan, I admit, but a spy, never. I have always lived for love and pleasure. It almost rhymes. Again, I love that move. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's a huge move. Um, in the end, 
she was found guilty by a French court and sentenced to death for espionage. She refused a blindfold upon her execution by firing squad and was fictitiously remembered to have blown a kiss to her executioners. So her story is quite the interesting one. It really is. Um, I think the uh, the new thing that came to light is that as people have been looking back on her story, more and more people have realized that there is actually absolutely no hard evidence of her conspiring with Germany. Yeah. And that more likely people, like the French needed a scapegoat on which, so like the big thing was that she was blamed for the death of like 50,000 soldiers. That was like the big talking point when she was being tried. It's Uh like, this woman led to the death of 50,000 soldiers. Mm But the French were just really angry and upset, and their sons were dying, and they just really needed a scapegoat for all the violence that was happening. And who better to soak up all this anger than the whore of France? (laughs) Like, the ultimate courtesan of Paris. She has no morality. She has no ethics. Like, she already... I I think the thing that came up again and again in the trial is... She's She was born to be a spy. All she knows is lying and manipulation and how to use men. And this is, Ugh. of course, what she's doing. Whereas she was like, I was born to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and dance. Yes. <laughs> like, that's what I was born for. So it's a really interesting, complex legacy that she has been left with as this sassy, saucy courtesan turned spy, but the reality was a tale of her complexity and a struggle to survive off the only commodities the world would recognize in her, her body and her beauty. Yeah. And then, like, the third layer (laughs) is the fact that she continued a long legacy of fetishization of Eastern cultures, which is something that's still happening today. Mm -hmm. Katy Perry's doing it, and music videos are doing it, and... The Kardashians are doing it. It's it's still a huge problem and it has always been a problem. So that's the sort of tie-dye whirlpool of who she was. Matahari, Margareta Zell. There you go. Wow. Way no, more there than I realized. Semi-noble slut of history. Love her. We say slut lovingly. Oh, yeah. Obviously. I don't think I should have to explain that. Yes. <laughs> But wow. there you go. Isn't interesting. that interesting? That's so interesting. Not so. I the, the thing I knew about her was that, like, she was a burlesque dancer and a spy. Like, that's it. But probably she wasn't. Probably but she was just potentially fucking. she totally wasn't. And then the thing that probably happened was she was put in a weirdly compromising position. And she was like, oh, maybe I can wrestle something out of Germany and give it to the French while I'm at work. Yeah. And that didn't really work out. Mm-hmm. And then she was, like, a prime scapegoat. Yeah. Too bad. Too bad. But also, don't appropriate Eastern cultures for your no, burlesque don't do act. That. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just no, ride no. a horse bottomless if you want. Yeah, there's a girl from my high school who does, like, belly dancing all the time mm-hmm. now, and, like, it's her whole Instagram. Yeah. And, like, she wears, like, a bindi, and mm-hmm. I'm like, is this 1990? This is obviously white woman. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, girl, you gotta not. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta really not. But, like... That may not be the case if it weren't for Matahari bringing that to Paris. That's true. You know? That's true. And you were saying, like, a lot of women were then stealing her style. Like, she was exactly. really influential. She influenced that and helped to keep it alive. And that's not great. Yeah. That's bad. That's it's more bad. than not great. It's it's an injustice. Yeah. Um, did she deserve to be killed by firing squad for that? 
Maybe no. No, but that's not what they killed her for. They killed her for the espionage. <laughs> no one was killing anyone for racism back then. They yeah. would be like, oh, well, of course. What a different world this would have been if they were doing that. I know. Back in the day. Bummer. Well, um, I'm ready to move on to our next salute. What do you say? Let's absolutely salute a doop. Hey, horror honeys. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. Your support means the world to us. And if you're not enjoying the show, why are you still listening? Maybe you do like the show. So, let's get sexy. Mm. Let's talk about Wallace Simpson, a woman whose pussy was so bomb that a man abdicated the throne of England. Yes. Um, but also she was a Nazi sympathizer, so I'm horrified. Uh, the modern Anne Boleyn with worse political choices. <laughs> Love it. Alrighty, so, Wally. Wallace Simpson, she was born Bessie Wallace Warfield um, on June 19th, 1896. She is a Gemini. Oh. <laughs> Wait, stop. I need to know what... What um, Matahari's star sign Matahari is. star sign. All right, we just looked it up. Matahari is a Leo, which that checks out. Yeah, I buy that. Totally checks out. Uh, Wallace Simpson is a Gemini. But she is an American socialite whose intended marriage to the British king caused a constitutional crisis that led to that king, Edward's abdication from the throne. Boom. This is a story I didn't know probably until I was like... In young college. Like, we didn't really learn this in high school at all because Mm -hmm. we weren't really focusing on, like, UK history at this time. You kind of go right from, like, you know, America gets free, you kind of focus on America, and then it's like, now we're at World War II. And you don't even really talk about the king at the time. You really just talk about Winston Churchill. Word, right? So this wasn't a story I learned until, like, a little later, and then I was like, bitch. Um, So Wallace grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Her father died shortly after her birth, and she and her widowed mother were supported kind of by their wealthier relatives as she was growing up. Uh, She was married when she was pretty young to U.S. Naval Officer Wynne Spencer, uh, but that was, like, just, like, them being separate for long periods of time and then seeing each other and then, like, them being separate again. And they ultimately got divorced, um... One great story I found from her time with Wynne is that she traveled around China for a year while they were, like, not together. Oh. Um, and while she was there, she bo- she had an affair with Mussolini's future son-in-law. Yikes. Um, and also, she only learned one phrase in Chinese when she was there for a full year, which was, boy, pass me the champagne. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. The only Chinese phrase you would need in China Yikes. for a full calendar year. Sure. So she divorces Wynne Spencer. It's just, like, irreconcilable differences. And then she marries a man named Ernest Simpson, a shipping executive who left his first wife to marry her in 1928. So they had clearly had something going on while he was still married. Uh, She and Ernest are spending lavishly, and they're soon living beyond their means, which puts a little bit of stress on their marriage. However, Wallace has always been very, very charming. So she has a lot of powerful and well-connected friends, and they're kind of, like, she can roll in these circles, even though she and Ernest are, like, not flush with cash. One of particular note is Thelma, Lady Furness, who at the time is the mistress of Edward, then the Prince of Wales. There you go. So on January 10th, 1931, Lady Furness introduces Wallace to the prince. Can we just stop for a second and acknowledge that Lady Furness sounds like... (laughs) 
Oscar Wilde's lost manuscript. Absolutely. <laughs> or it's like the character in the basement of Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Like, oh, Lady Furnace is trapped in the basement. She can't get up the stairs anymore. <laughs> it's true. Well, in the <laughs> sequel, isn't there like an organ? Who's yeah. A villain? Yeah. That's such a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I would love a, a play about the hypocrisy of the British elite starring Lady Furnace. Lady Furnace. She's a very warm woman. Mm. Um, Hot. So let's talk about the prince. Edward is 37 years old. A stone-cold fox. Tight. The heir to the English throne. Mm. And a white supremacist. Great. <laughs> so, like, I have a painting of him that we no. can look at. He's hot in a British way. I mean, it's... But then you look at it too long and he looks like a Hitler youth. Yeah, that's there. That's there. So, yeah, he um he had um served in World War One. What we were just talking about with Matahari. And he had gotten to travel a little bit and, like, that had just made him more racist. And everywhere he would go that had people of color there, he'd be like, isn't it interesting how stupid they are compared to white people? And everyone would be like, can you just... <laughs> Yikes. Can you just not... Like, even the racist people of pre-World War II, the world, were like, Jesus, Edward. Yeah. Maybe it's good that, you know, her beeb lured her away. A lot of people say you that's know. true. A lot of people say she, like, took one for the team by making him mm-hmm. have to paint. So, at first, Wallace and the prince um, just kind of, like, run into each other at parties because he's still sleeping with tons of married women, including Wallace's friend Thelma. So, for, like, probably the first three years they know each other, it's just in passing, at lavish parties... She's ignoring her husband. He's fucking her friend. Like, they wave, and that's about it. Then, in January 1934, Lady Furness is away in New York City. And this is allegedly when Wallace becomes the prince's mistress. Ooh. Well, the mistress is away. The mistress will play. <laughs> Great. Now the, we don't have to name your first romance novel. The mistress is dead. Long live the mistress. Yeah. How many more <laughs> of those you got holstered in there? <laughs> Let me keep thinking. No. Um, so um, Edward later, like, once they're married, married, he's like, Wallace and I never had sex until we were married. That's not true. Come on. Um, but even, like, even as it's happening right then, Edward is denying to his father that they're having sex, despite a lot of staff seeing them in bed together, as well as, quote, evidence of the physical sexual act. So that's got to mean Gross. cum, I think. Splooge everywhere. Splooge? On royal stuff. I don't know. Like, my lord, this, you know, chest of drawers <laughs> is from the 1600s. <laughs> you simply cannot do what you're doing. <laughs> near it <laughs> and i must tell the king <laughs> literally that i mean? think that's what happened uh, yeah i'm so curious about what the evidence of the physical yeah it's not like they was. found like condoms in the trash can <laughs> maybe they did i don't know they maybe had condoms they back then like did weird. they well they had like weird, oh, yeah i guess like, that's sheep intestine yeah that's a stupid weird. thing to say of course they had condoms so yeah maybe they found like her diaphragm or something yeah like, they found something weird clearly somewhere. and then they also like saw them in bed together so the king's like Fuck you, man. The king, yeah. here's another... Well, the another... king's like, this ship's, sheepskin condom could mean anything. And then the maid's like, I saw <laughs> yes. his pee entering her V, yeah. so I don't know what else to say. She was bent over King Edward III's royal chair. Yeah, I may just be a gutter wench in this household, <laughs> but I know, I know's fucking when I see it. <laughs> I know the act of making love. So, they get together in January of 1934, um... Wallace ousts Lady Furness, um, like, she's no longer the main mistress, and the prince also distances himself from another lover and confidant, 
the um, textile heiress Frida or Freda Dudley Ward. Mm. To be so, a textile heiress, am I right? Yeah. Ugh. So after just like a year together, Edward is like obsessed with Wallace, the way he's never been with a woman before. Like he always is fucking like a few of them at the same time. He's the Prince of England. But like now that he's with Wallace, he's like a one woman man. And that woman is married, and her name is Wallace Simpson. Uh, so that's where we are. So that's what's up. One thing he loves about her is her domineering manner and her abrasive irreverence towards his position. So, like, she's like, I don't care that you're the prince. Go and get me a muffin. And he's like, yes, baby. <laughs> like, that really works for him. I mean, he loves a mommy, I guess. Yeah, so in the words of his official biographer, he became, quote, slavishly dependent on her. Nice. And if we want to talk about sex stuff for a minute, it is episode 69. 69. Edward's other lovers all said that he loved to be dominated. <laughs> um, so the lover that I talked about, uh, Freda Dudley Ward, said he liked to be called Little Puppy and Little Slave. And there were reports from the palace of Wallace pushing Edward around in a baby pram. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, kink however you want to kink. It seems like that's just what he was into. Um, But it is like a fun juxtaposition of the King of England. Uh, And he... And a full white supremacist. And a full white supremacist. Though that's not fair. I'm much more fine with people who, like, (laughs) want to be called, like, little baby when they're being fucked than with a white supremacist. Oh, yeah. I'll take the former any day. Yeah. If you and your mistress want to fucking push each other around in a baby cart, go for it. Be my goddamn guest. (laughs) I do feel bad for the staff at your palatial estate who has to watch and clean up your... (laughs) Whatever whatever it is that they have to clean. (laughs) Whatever it is they have to clean. So, um, shocker, Edward's family is not into this. They already (laughs) low-key hate Edward. Like, they can just all tell he's a fucking dick. Um, but this really is, like, over the top for them because Wallace is, A, a divorcee, and divorced people are not allowed in court. When he brings her to court to introduce her to his parents, they're like, she should not be here because she's divorced and that's not the way they roll. They don't roll that way until 2002, literally. Yikes. Um, and then B, she is still married to another man at this point. She has not started her divorce proceedings with Ernest Simpson yet. Bigger yikes. So they're just like, dude. Um, and it was such a concern to them that they were followed by members of the Metropolitan Police Special Branch, who was trying to examine the nature of their relationship in secret. And an undated report detailed a visit by the couple to an antique shop, where the proprietor later noted, quote, that the ladies seemed to have the Prince of Wales completely under her thumb. <laughs> Again, Edward loves to be dominated. Um, Edward yeah. loves a mommy. That's what we we're, <laughs> that's what keep saying. It. That's what he likes. That's what he wants. So um, they do not like the idea of an American divorcee with such a questionable past having sway over the heir apparent. And everyone kind of starts freaking out. And then the king dies. So they're like... Threat level midnight. It's go time. Wallace is still married at this point, but she starts telling people, soon I will be the queen. (laughs) Wallace, no. (laughs) Um, And Edward also makes his intentions of marrying Wallace very clear. Um, But that's a problem because the monarch of the United Kingdom is supreme governor of the Church of England. You're in charge of the church when you're the king. And at the time of this marriage, and again, until 2002... The church disapproved of and would not perform the remarriage of divorced people if their former spouse was still alive. So, like... That was the whole trouble with um, Princess Anne. Yeah. No, not Princess with Anne. Camilla and Charles. Well, that, but also Princess Margaret. 
Oh, yeah. That whole thing in The Crown. Yes. What a great story arc that is in The Crown. It is great. The Crown is great. But it gets reversed for Camilla and Charles. Oh, yeah. Because they're both divorced. That's true. But they wanted to be married, but mommy said no. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think every male um, in the House of Windsor has, a, like, a mommy fetish? Probably, right? I at, mean, maybe. At this point, because the queen's been the queen for so long, it's like, how can you not? I think maybe. I think maybe. That's for a different we'll episode. Have to bring, we'll have to bring on our, I mean, our English third secret co-host to tell us about, you know. <laughs> the fetishes of the royal family. The fetishes family. of the royal family. I would love to force thing. her to do that episode. She would be miserable. She would not like it. She would hate it. <laughs> um, so, this is a problem. He cannot get married while he is the head of the Church of England to Wallace, and he must be the head of the Church of England if he is the king. Um, and in Catch 22 there. Yeah. And additionally, the church and English law only allows adultery as a legitimate ground for divorce. And again, Wallace and her last husband um, basically fire, filed irreconcilable differences. Then it was called mutual incompatibility. But like they, her, her first husband and their marriage ended because they were like, we don't want to be married anymore. But yeah, the, you should just be able to say like, no, thank you. Yeah. Which is done being married to this person. Which you can do now. But back in the day, uh, you couldn't. And her new marriage could have been considered bigamous uh, if her first husband had wanted to challenge it in the eyes of the Church of England. So Wallace is trying to divorce her second husband finally. And the king goes to the British Prime Minister, Baldwin, and is like, how can I marry Wallace and stay on the throne? He's like, maybe I can have, a, it's called a morganatic marriage, which means that he's the king, but Wallace isn't queen. He's like, that's fine, right? I can marry to her. She just can't be the queen. Um, but this is rejected by Prime Minister Baldwin and also by the Prime Ministers of Australia, Canada, and the Union of South Africa. So that means if the king were to marry Wallace, the government would be required to resign, causing a constitutional crisis. Yikes. So, like, you said threat level midnight earlier. Now we're, like, threat level 2 a.m. Like, just... (laughs) This is still not cool. And then meanwhile, before this, the British press had been kind of keeping it under wraps because that's just something the British press, like, used to do for the monarchy. And now they go fucking crazy. And now they go fucking crazy. But for years and years, they would not report on, like, scandalous shit going on. So this really hadn't been published that Wallace and the King were boning hard. But finally it comes out and Wallace has to flee the country and drives um, to the south of France in a dramatic race to outrun the press, which is a move I love. Uh, she gets pressured to renounce the king by Lord Bronlow, and he later reads a statement from her in which she basically says, like, I'll break up with him if I need to. That's fine. Um, but he's like, no, we're not breaking up. I love you, mom. And we're never (laughs) leaving each other. And he makes it clear that he is going to abdicate if he can't marry Wallace as king. And he basically talks with, like, his three brothers, one of whom is about to become the king if he abdicates. And they're all like, yeah, abdicate. That's going to be the move, we think, Edward. (laughs) I mean, we weren't really hot on you doing this anyways. Yeah. So So he does. He abdicates in December of 1936 um, in the presence of his three surviving brothers. And then um, the next day he says in a radio broadcast... I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to without the help and support of the woman I love. (gasps) Sexy. Hot. So now Wallace and Edward are free. They finally get married in June of 1937 and they can just be 
racist, I guess. They moved to France in the pre-war years, and infamously, in 1937, they visit Germany and meet Adolf Hitler at the Bergdorf, his Berchtesgaden retreat. Uh, during the visit, the Duke, he's they're now known as the Duke and Duchess. They like, got demoted. And um, Edward still gets to be referred to as his royal highness, but the royal family does not allow Wallace to be referred to as her royal highness, which really pisses Wallace off. And in their home, uh, she makes everyone say her royal highness. Of course. Which is petty, but I respect a little bit of pettiness. I get it. I, I would absolutely respect all of this pettiness if she wasn't a Nazi. If she wasn't a Nazi, I know. So, anyways, they go to um, Germany. They meet up with Hitler. The Duke gives full Nazi salutes while he's there. He's not even trying to be subtle about it. Um, and according to royal biographer Andrew Morton, in Germany they were treated like royalty. Members of the aristocracy would bow and curtsy to her, Wallace, and she was treated with all the dignity and status that the Duke always wanted. So like I was saying, they were kind of resentful of the way the British royal family was treating them. And in Germany, they were treated the way they wanted to be treated. Like they were fancy and important. Perfect. It's almost like Hitler really knows how to manipulate people. After the visit, uh, Hitler says of Wallace, quote, She would have made a good queen. You honestly never want any compliment from Hitler. Yeah. It does not matter if it's the thing you've always wanted to hear. Don't take the compliment. Yeah. If he was like, oh, Sam Buntage, oh, she's a stand-up lass. You've done something very wrong. I've done something very bad, if, if that ever happened. Um, this visit corroborated the suspicions many in the government had that uh, the Duchess Wallace was a German agent. Um, she probably wasn't a German agent, but she and the Duke didn't mind Germany. Uh, you know what I mean? She probably didn't have, like, a whole outfit to go with it. Yeah, and there were there were allegations that she had had these lovers who were, like, high up in the German government. Well, a lot of crossover between our two, uh, two yeah, ladies Yeah, they here. really are. So, um, during the war, the couple quickly get out of France. Makes sense. They settle in Portugal in the home of Ricardo de Espirito Santo e Silva, who is a banker suspected of being a German agent. So, yikes. And then Edward is given the job of governor of the Bahamas. What a great place to go to just ride out World War II, right? Honestly. Um, well, Wallace hates it there. Uh, she calls it Our St. Helena, referring to Napoleon's final place of exile. And she's heavily criticized by the British press for extravagant shopping trips in the United States during the time that Britain is, like, being bombed and rationing and the blackout in London. She is in America shopping it up. People are like, D what? Why? Um, we can't even use butter when you're buying purses. Exactly. Um, just to really hammer this nail on the head, uh, in letters to her aunt, Wallace Co calls the local population of the Bahamas lazy, thriving N-words. And uh, she does not write N-words. Oh, yikes. Uh, historians say this reflects her upbringing in the Jim Crow South, but I think it also reflects the fact that she sucks. <laughs> I, I would agree <laughs> with that education. Education, um, with that educated guess. Thank you, thank you. Um, the Duke is praised for his efforts to combat poverty on the island. He is as contemptuous of the Bahamanians as he is most of the non-white people of the empire. Um, he said of uh, Etienne Dupuc, who was the editor of the Nassau Daily Tribune, quote, It must be remembered that Dupuc is more than half Negro, and due to our particular mentality of this race, they seem unable to rise to prominence without losing their equilibrium. Ugh, gross. Gross. That fucking sucks. <laughs> so it, like, 
he he is praised for like good work he's doing there um but he also just to be even a, a fun different brand of racist he blames the troubles of the bahamas on mischief makers communists men of central european jewish descent and people who had secured jobs as a pretext for obtaining a deferment from the draft great. so he just rocks what a nice great guy yeah he seems like a stand-up dude and they just keep doing, they, they go aboard like a yacht with like a pro-German um, Swedish magnet. And the Duke keeps giving these interviews that are like super defeatist in the middle of the war. And literally Winston Churchill has to keep being like, stop it. <laughs> just stay on the Bahamas where I put you. <laughs> just stay there. Don't do anything else. Jesus. So um, World War II ends. Uh, England is successful in winning uh, as opposed to the Nazis, which is great. And Wallace and Edward live out their lives in France, basically retired. Um, they're not really given any more, like, official duties. They just kind of, like, occasionally show up to parties. Mostly they're in France. I think a lot of the royal family wants to ignore them. Uh, queen Elizabeth, the current queen, hates Wallace Simpson. Um, only ever refers to her as that woman. Uh, yeah, well, she basically ruined her life. Yeah. She would never, she probably would not have had to be queen had it not been for... Yeah. Wallace Simpson and her bomb-ass pussy. Um, but so that's the story of Wallace Simpson. Um, again, like, some people say, like, wow, isn't it great that she and Edward started fucking because then he couldn't be king and yeah. he wanted to just appease Germany. He didn't want to go to war. Um, isn't it great? But also she sucks and he sucks. And I am glad they weren't uh, king and queen, but that doesn't mean they don't suck. Yeah, two things can be true. I think one other thing that I read about her somewhere, which could be wrong, is that she cheated on, um, what's his name? Edward. Edward. With, like, a Nazi officer. That was a, a rumor. Did that not happen? Well, I mean, we can't know. Um, I like to think that. Yeah, that, that was a rumor <laughs> that was happening. It was, what was the guy's name? I have it in here. Um, his name was uh, Joachim von Ribbentrop. Von <laughs> um, there was a rumor that she kept a picture of him by her bedside. Um, but, but that was probably like Edward wanted that, like, he, like to be like a cuck. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, with the things I know about Edward's sexual proclivities, he probably did like to be a cuck. So maybe, maybe it was on purpose. Maybe they had a ton of Nazi orgies, you know? We can't know. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, there, there's Wallace for our sexy 69 episode. <laughs> but the back half of her story, not sexy at all. It is not sexy. Nothing about Nazis are sexy. Nope. Not one thing. Not a one. Whew. So, um, we have a little bit of, uh, fun update news how, from- How dare you call this fun? This is so fun for me to watch how much it upsets you. This is update news from two of our episodes, our episode about teens on YouTube and our episode about TanaCon. Sam, what has happened in this great nation? Folks, sometimes against your better judgment, you think, maybe this person's not as bad as I thought. Maybe they're really gonna sh get their shit together, you know? Right. Maybe Shane Dawson does a documentary on them and you think, wow, there's more there than maybe meets the eye. Mm -hmm. And then he Wait, does- which one are you talking about? Both. Oh, got it. <laughs> the both this happened with. You guys- Tana Mojo of TanaCon and Jake Paul of Teens on YouTube are engaged to be wed to each other. 
It will be a spring wedding. They're getting married. They're now, getting married. there's a lot of disagreement about if it's real or not. I don't think it's real. I think it's just like a So what I would argue ploy. is that these people on the internet are blurring the lines between reality and fiction constantly. Which kind of brings in our Cartesian skepticism episode. Yeah. I don't know if I'm seeing a shadow on the wall or if I'm seeing Tanacon featuring Jake. I I don't know. I don't know anymore. I'm disappointed in them. Mostly Jake, because really the Shane Dawson documentary, which you must watch on YouTube, made me go like, oh, maybe this guy's figuring himself it out. It humanizes him. It really does. Yeah. And the Tana one does it for her too, but like it's- nah, not, not as much. It's more specifically about the festival that she clearly fucked up <laughs> with the help of other people fucking it up. And like, even through her scream crying, she didn't feel that sorry about yeah. it. Whereas Jake's was trying to be like, oh, this is a real guy and not just like a meme. No, I guess he is just a meme. We live in a world of memes. Guys, they're going to get married. What if they procreate? I don't know, man. What would I do? (laughs) Also, um, is there any more? more? No, that's it. Except, would you like me to scream for the next two minutes? Because that's the only other content I have about Jake and Tana. I'm going to wait until we just close this down just for our um, sound levels. Okay, fair enough. I will let you do that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm going to, whether or not. (laughs) I know. Just just tell me when. I know I can't stop you. The other fun fact, now you're mad that I called it fun again. Um, The other fun update we have from our new Coke episode is that they're bringing back new Coke. That's true. You you single-handedly brought brought back new Coke. Because of um, Stranger Things. Stronger thongs. Um, And I don't know if I already talked about this on the air, but I saw another picture of somebody holding a new Coke and I was like, you're welcome. I know. You're welcome that I did that. And also one last update is that um, Keith Raniere from our Nexium episode was found guilty and he's going to jail. We are fixing the world. I do think we, some sometimes I think this, what if we're a little clairvoyant in that the stories we choose become relevant after we choose them? I'm not saying it's because of that, but I'm saying maybe we have some sort of foreknowledge that we don't even recognize as foreknowledge. We have like a light prophetic nature to us. Yeah. I love that. What if we do? I agree. It could be all the crystals that are in this room where we record. There's a lot of crystals in this room. Maybe we're a little psychic when we're recording this podcast. Well, I just feel like at any rate we're doing the Lord's work. So hats Absolutely. off to us. Um, let us know if you think uh, Jake Paul and Tana Mojo are actually engaged or not. It's Jake Paul, right? Jake Paul, yeah. Um, and, you know, go get yourself a cold refreshing new coke (laughs) and until next week we hope you stay horrified stay horrified